Good morning, church. I'm going to sneak over here and get a Kleenex because I've had this cold for two months and I'll probably have it for five more. <sighs> Good grief. But, ain't going to stop me. All right. We're in Zephaniah 2. If you've been a... Uh, oh, there's, there's Kleenexes here in the pulpit. See? That's what I get. Providence ignored. I'm going to get another Kleenex. Uh, if you've been following along with the way that we tend to do our preaching, we take books and we, we move through them. And maybe you saw this series and thought, majoring on the minors. Interesting, minor prophets. And we're going to do four of the minor prophets. And at first you might think, holy moly, this is going to be like months and months. No, all these minor prophets are very short. At the end of today, we'll be two-thirds of the way through Zephaniah. It's only three chapters. A lot of times these minor prophets can be easily overlooked in study. Number one, they're in the Old Testament. And Old Testament a lot of times is not a, a great place to start for people that are trying to learn a lot about Jesus and some of those details, right? The Old Testament is wonderful and it's rich. But it provides for us a history and an understanding of what Christ came to do and how he set out to do it in many regards. But it's not necessarily a place to study. When you get these very short books in the Old Testament, a lot of times they're overlooked. So I think we took it as both a blessing and a challenge to be able to take these minor prophets. Number one, figure out how these are talking about Christ, understand them more, more deeply. But maybe if you've never even read them, uh, an awesome opportunity to be exposed to some relatively new scripture, which is unbelievably rich and sure enough, very indicative of a, of a coming Messiah. So uh, if you've got your Bible, Zephaniah 2. <coughs> if you don't, it's up on the screen and uh, please uh, follow along with me. Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. For Gaza shall be deserted, and Ashkelon shall become a desolation. Ashdod's people shall be driven out at noon, and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, you nation of the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. And I will destroy you until no inhabitant is left. And you, O seacoast, shall be pastures, with meadows for shepherds and folds for flocks. The seacoast shall become the possession of the remnant of the house of Judah, on which they shall graze. And in the houses of Ashkelon they shall lie down in evening. For the Lord their God will be mindful of them and restore their fortunes. I have heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites and how they have taunted my people and made boasts against their territory. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a land possessed by nettles and salt pits and a waste forever. The remnant of my people shall plunder them and the survivors of my nation shall possess them. This shall be their lot in return for their pride because they taunted and boasted against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be awesome against them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth, and to him shall bow down, each in its place, all the lands of the nations. You also, O Cushites, shall be slain by my sword, and he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria, and he will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry waste like the desert. Herds shall lie down in her midst, all kinds of beasts, even the owl and the hedgehog shall lodge in her capitals. A voice shall hoot in the window, devastation will be on the threshold. For her cedar work will be laid bare. This is the exultant city that lives securely, that said in her heart, I am and there is no one else. 
What a desolation she has become, a lair for wild beasts. Everyone who passes by her hisses and shakes his fist. Let's pray. Lord, as the scriptures go, they're perhaps uplifting on their face. This is not one of those. These books, uh, in many regards, are difficult to study, to understand, maybe to even want to begin. But Lord, we trust that your word in its fullness, in its entirety, is beneficial to us. It is good for us, Lord. Uh, help us to be able to open these, these challenging chapters, to read them, uh, to study, to comprehend them, to work together, Lord, to understand better what you are, are, are talking to us about, how this can impact us today, and what about you and your son we are able to learn. Thank you for this time to get your sons in my prayer. Amen. All right. No repentance, no peace is what I called this sermon. It was a tough one to title because like a lot of Old Testament, in my opinion at least, um, there's multiple things happening in chapters. Um, This chapter opened with a really big call to repentance. But before we get into this too much, I started with more tough scripture and I will stand by that. There is scripture that is, I believe, easy. It's very digestible. You can read it. it. It's very clear and plain on its face what's going on. It doesn't mean we don't want to study and understand its context. Don't get me wrong. But then there's scripture that I think is tough. I think it's tough to understand. It's tough to read. It's tough to hear. It maybe doesn't align with what we would consider to be things good in the world today. And we talk about cities being made desolate, laid bare, uh, you know, massive amounts of death and destruction. We tend to avoid those in our daily lives. We don't wish them even generally on our enemies. We want to see our enemies learn from their mistakes, not necessarily be consumed by them. But if it is doom and gloom, quite frankly, it is. But the doom and gloom is designed to help us find hope. When we read this and we feel like, oh my gosh, what a nightmare this would be. It should remind us that the hope of Scripture is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. There is no hope in avoiding this. There's no hope in being able to weather the storm, or maybe God will change his mind. Maybe he will suddenly change and will not be just God. and will just let everybody pass through and, and get to heaven. There will be no punishment. There's no hope there. The hope is in Jesus Christ alone. So as we jump in here, we're going to build a little bit on, on chapter 1. Last week was a lot of judgment. If you remember chapter 1, it was full tilt uh, in times in a lot of regards. We talked in our small group, uh, a lot of these prophecies have multiple applications over history. That's not coincidental. It's all a wonderful plan to show us that God is indeed in charge of every aspect. When he's talking to the Israelites about specific judgment that's upcoming, it's going to be fulfilled. Then what we're going to see is towards the end of days, it's going to be a very similar repeat. Why do we think that is? Mainly it's because we keep doing the same things. You disobey God. You set up idols before God. God judges you rightly. Then we say, we learned our lesson, Lord. Fast forward a couple hundred years, we're doing it again as people over and over and over. Eventually this does come to a close. Uh, John's revelation is very clear that that's the last time. After that one, the world will be incinerated. A new heavens and a new earth will come, and we'll never have to deal with this again. But God is patient. And when we read these chapters, and maybe feel that God is not patient, and that he is uh, wrathful or vengeful or something like that. He is in in a way that brings him glory and is completely right to do so. Uh, But he is delaying and taking his time because God cares and is merciful. This week focuses on the enemies of God specifically, and we're going to talk about that, that The first chapter was much more general about everybody. The world itself will be handled in this following way. 
You, Israelites, you're going to be part of this most likely. Today is focusing a little bit more on enemies. And the, but the judgment specifically follows three verses about repentance. And that's where we want to start. There is no time to waste. I love this because Zephaniah, as a prophet, tiny book, Old Testament, calls us to gather and soon. Shameless as we are, we must turn to God. Repent. Say you're sorry for what you did. Change the course of your life. Figure it out. But don't rely on God to just wait forever for you. God is tarrying right now. He could start the, the proceedings of Revelation proper anytime he wants, but he tarries because he's merciful. But he will not wait forever. Trust in that, Lord. The prophets that were talking in the Old Testament were talking to Israelites that didn't want to believe it then, thought, oh, that's never going to happen. That's, that's millennia away. We do the same stuff today. But our message should be, even in the times of prophecies, the urgency was real, as real as it is now. There is no time to waste. We do not know what five minutes from now brings, much less five years, much less five decades. We'd like to think perhaps that we've got all the time in the world, lifetimes, generations, to get all this fixed. But what we see in Scripture is not a call to delay, not a call to wait. Maybe your kids will figure it out, let your grandkids sort that out. No, go today. Do it now. And you'll notice how the call works. He's not saying act better and be nicer. Now, those are good things. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, hey, let's be hateful and rotten and do awful stuff. No. We should be acting better and we should be nicer. But that is not repentance. Rather, we're told to seek the Lord, seek righteousness, seek humility. If you want to be able to have full repentance, if you want to draw closer to God, get rid of things that are burned to you, take that, that, that kind of holy sorrow and channel that into something, you are going to require God to pull that off. People break bad habits all the time. Breaking a bad habit is not the same as repenting. If I have a desire to shoot my neighbor or pummel my neighbor and I lose my arms in an accident, but I still have the desire to pummel my neighbor and no longer the ability, nothing has changed in my heart condition. I still want to. I just can't. A lot of times what we do is we, we substitute the lack of action for repentance. That's not what's being told here. And it's not what we see in Scripture. Even in Zephaniah, seek the Lord. Gather nation, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble the land, who do his just commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. If you want to avoid the wrath of God, you have to seek God. Now, when I was a kid, if I wanted to avoid the wrath of my parents, I certainly wouldn't have sought out my parents. I would have avoided my parents. You cannot avoid the wrath of God. There's no escape here. There's no getting into a special tunnel and having a thick enough wall that the wrath of God will not... He, he will burn everything up in his time. Now, for God's enemies. We see four nations mentioned here in their eventual demise. Philistia, which is the Philistines, but here he's speaking specifically to the Cherethites, which is a sect of those groups. Moab, Cush, and Assyria. Now these are relevant, very relevant to the Jews at the time. Not so much to us, we don't necessarily recognize these as enemies of God's people or any of that stuff, but at this, this time, this prophecy would have really hit home. These are names that they were familiar with, they know what's happening, they've had run-ins with all four of these nations, all four of these people groups, and they haven't ended well. They are at odds with them. They have stolen from the Jews, little wars and fracases here and there, trouble. And what do we read? Woe to the Cherethites. 
This is right out of the scripture. God will utterly dismantle them. Their land will be given to God's remnant. So they're going to be destroyed. God's going to let the remnant move in there. The remnant will be at peace in this place, and this place that the Lord has prepared for them. This is the place that God wants them to be. The Cherethites are there now, but when this all gets squared away, God's going to fix it. He's going to put them back. Then we see woe to the Ammonites. God will treat them as their ancestors in Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you're not familiar with that, it doesn't end well for Sodom or Gomorrah. It's a very, very dark place with very bad things happening. Um, and God's ringing this up to let them know that I've dealt with this stuff before and I'm going to do, deal with it again, right? Just like you guys that don't listen, they don't listen either. Once again, we see here a, call, a, a prophecy that God's remnant will plunder and possess them. Their specific defeat will be because of their taunting of the Lord. And this is interesting. What God's talking about are specific aspects of these people groups. And remember, he's talking to Jews that know these people groups. So as he's saying this stuff, there would have been lots of head nods out in the... I've heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites, how they have taunted my people and they boast against their territory. Amen! Amen! Darn right! Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord, Moab shall become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a land possessed by nettles and salt pits and a waste forever. I can almost hear the applause starting. The remnant of my people shall plunder them as survivors, and they shall possess them. Woo! Finally! Now we're talking. We're so sick of those guys. They drive me nuts. Let's go, God. Woe to the Cushites. <laughs> I like this part. Verse 12, Zephaniah 2.12. You also, O Cushites, shall be slain by my sword. They will be slain by God's sword. That's apparently all we need to know. There's no details. He hasn't gone into anything about why. They're going to be slain by the sword. Then we could go back and talk about, well, they were warmongers, and um, you know, they like to slay by the sword, and so that's, this is God kind of rubbing it in their face. It's all very true, but it's, it's quiet here. Oh, yeah, good. Cushites, get them too. And then under the Ninevites, Assyrian Nineveh will be, you guessed it, destroyed. But unlike the others, there's a big difference here. God's remnant isn't given this place per se. This place is left desolated for only beasts in nature. And in fact, when people pass, they will hiss and shake their fist. It's almost like a monument to those that stand against the Lord. It's so desolate. It's, it's been utterly left in ruin. So why is there prophecy about this? Why? What's the purpose? The first part of this, part of this chapter is good news. It's the best news. Repentance is available, and God is forgiving. We know now that is awesome. That is the good news. That's the gospel. What Christ has done has enabled us to, to be with the Father for all eternity in his presence, viewed as a son, a co-heir with Christ. There's nothing better. There's no better news. But... The Jews were interested, I bet, in the second half of this far more. They want vengeance and retribution on their enemies. Those people in that time were driving them up a wall. If we were to turn this and substitute this out for enemies in our life, we probably would feel something very similar. Yeah, yeah, that's great that I'm saved, but what about vengeance? When does that come? That brings us to the, the final four here. Number one, repentance is first and foremost. Number two, God's enemies will be handled by God. 
Which leads us to number three, which is our joy should be in the Lord alone. And then number four, if we believe in the first three, we should tell everyone we know. Let's jump in. Repentance is first and foremost. We must repent, and we better do it soon. Don't take my word for it. If you read any scripture in here that is related to Christ at all, relating to salvation at all, there is always an urgency. There's a specific method. Repentance is not mysterious. It is about turning away from our sin. It is about soliciting the Lord to change us and our lives, to protect us from that, to not be a slave to it. Will we struggle? Will we stumble? Yes, yes. But we trust God that we are no longer bound to that. And once we believe that his son is who he said he was, now we've got perpetual sanctification all the way till we leave this earth. Our lives will get better. But repentance is important. If I am never sorry about what I did, then I won't repent of it. And if I'm not repenting, then I don't believe that repentance is available. And if I don't believe in repentance, and I don't believe in salvation, and I'm not even saved. Repentance is critical, but we can't put it off. We oughtn't put it off. For some people, repentance feels like a step too far. Well, I know. Uh, we were talking with some friends yesterday, and it was like there's a lot of people just feel like, yeah, I believe all that, but it's going to be a huge thing in my life. I'm going to have to get rid of all my friends. I've got to get new hobbies. I've got to lay off all this behavior that I really enjoy, that I've made a big part of my life. My whole life's got to get thrown out. Family, friends, I, it's, it's going to be tremendously impactful to me in a negative way in the short term. So I need to put that off. I'm going to need to wait until something else changes. It needs to be easier for me to repent if I'm going to do it. Zephaniah is saying, it's not going to ever get any easier if the Lord comes back. <laughs> Believe me, that is not going to be a picnic. The Lord's patience is grace to all those who are his enemies. If you don't know who Jesus Christ is, you're an enemy of the Lord. I had to break it to you. There's no middle party. There's not the pros and the cons. If you ever go back and like study war uh, in, in the world, I mean, <coughs> World War II or whatever, you've got... The Axis and the Allies, and then there's Switzerland. Neutral. Nobody hates Switzerland, right? They're not taking sides. Well, you're taking sides. You're either for God or you're against Him. There is no Switzerland in salvation. There's not going to be a group in heaven that's set aside for those that didn't hate God but also didn't love Him. That doesn't exist. We do this in the world. We love the idea of neutrality. But there is no neutrality. You're either a child of God or an enemy of God. And, and church, let us not be enemies any longer. When I say repentance is first and foremost, this is 100% apt. If you're hearing this today and saying, I'm ready to repent, I don't know how to do it, please reach out to us. Please reach out. We can do this together. We can walk through the whole notion of this together. We can, we can start taking these very first steps. But before we worry about vengeance, let us seek peace. So many people want God to get busy with vengeance, and they are not even, they don't realize that they're standing across the firing line. When's he going to shoot his enemies? Well, that's you. Oh, no, not me. I'm Switzerland. I'm neutral. I don't hate God. I mean, I don't know God. I don't believe in his son, but I don't hate him. I'm not actively anti-God. doesn't matter. If you're calling down the wrath of God on his enemies, you, darn, you, you better be darn sure you're not one of those enemies, which leads us to our second. God's enemies will be handled by God. I'm going to be honest. Justice is wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. I love when cops catch someone breaking traffic laws. There's some videos on YouTube called like convenient cops and people have dash cams running and, and you'll see someone run a red light or try to do a hit and run and they happen to be a policeman right nearby 
and they jump right in. Has anyone ever been driving around, you saw somebody do something you think is idiotic, and you think, gosh, I wish it was a cop here. Because if I were a cop, I'd pull them over for that. What they're doing is wrong. And they should be punished for that. Or at least told that what they're doing is wrong. They shouldn't be allowed to get away with it. It's wonderful to know that people won't get away with it. But this is God's business, not ours, period. I love the example of a cop because it's twofold. One, people get away with things and we think they're, they, 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 he got away with it. They, look at what they, they just cut me off and that's the end of that. Sometimes that's not the end of that. Do know that all of that will be dealt with by God at some point. Even bad driving sins. Those have to be managed. You've got to deal with them. But just because we don't necessarily see justice happening in front of our very eyes doesn't mean it's not happening. Somebody might do something on the road that was unbelievably dangerous, and we didn't see them get stopped or pulled over. We might errantly think, well, they got away with it. Maybe not. Maybe they got caught later on. Maybe someone took that dash cam video, took it to the police, and they found them and charged them with you know, reckless endangerment. I don't know. But unlike cops in traffic, God knows all of this. His business, he will deal with it in its entirety. There will not be a single sinner that is unrepentant that's going to squeak by because uh, it wasn't, didn't make the list. He, oh, God overlooked him. I didn't realize she did that. Whoops, that's news to me. Hold on a minute. You know, shuffling papers. I always use this analogy. That's not God. He knows everything. He stands outside of all this. He will handle his enemies. And when we get pumped up and excited about hearing God's vengeance, we read this chapter, if we put ourselves in the shoes of, of the Israelites at the time, thinking, oh, yeah, finally. Yes, yes. Take him to task, God. Enough's enough. We're sick and tired of it. We, we're tired of getting abused by them, and we're tired of having to bother with the war. Finally, God's going to take care of this for us. And their joy shifts from God to vengeance. I want to see my enemies suffer. That's what I want. And our joy should be in the Lord alone. We will rejoice in the Lord's justice. Do, do not get me wrong. There's going to come a time when we get to watch him turn the screws on the world and renew everything, rebuild it all. We will rejoice in that. We will give God glory during that process. We will rejoice in his righteousness. We'll be in his presence. But we can rejoice in his grace and peace right now. That's available to us today. There's some degree of the Lord's justice available to us today. But what we're talking about here in this passage specifically is a justice to come. Righteousness to come in the end times. Once the world is taken away and the new heavens and new earth, we will be all righteous forever. But grace and peace, that's here now. If, you, if I take another breath and able to share the word of the Lord for another 10 seconds, that's grace. We should be seeking to be peaceable. We studied all that stuff. Our goal here is not to go to war with our enemies. Certainly not to go to war with God's enemies. We can rejoice in that grace and peace now because our joy should be in the Lord, the presence of God, the glory of God, the peace, the hope, the grace, the love, all these aspects of God. And the reality is, it's too easy to rejoice in the Lord when he does it our way. If we get everything that we want, it's very tempting to rejoice in our desires. Oh, good. It's all coming together for me. Hooray for me. I love my new job. I love my new car. I love my new spouse. I love my new house. All these things have been added unto me, and they are wonderful, and I rejoice in them. No. Our joy should be in the Lord alone, the provider of those things. All the providence in our life, the good and the bad, 
We, we, we need to learn to rejoice in the Lord. When we read this and we see that our enemies are going to get what they deserve, we should say, yay, God, not yay, vengeance. Finally, we'll get, we'll get uh, what we, uh, I mean, what you uh, want for us, God. It's very, very tempting. Finally, if we believe these first three, we should tell everyone we know. Church, we have knowledge that Zephaniah didn't have. We know how the story ends. We've seen all the prophecies fulfilled. Now, I say this and that Zephaniah may have known. I don't know. But it's certainly not what he's talking about here. We don't see specifics about the coming of Christ and the work that he did and the manner of, uh, that, that he described and told parables. But we know the full story of Jesus and his sacrifice. And we should be shouting this good news from the rooftops. Unlike Zephaniah and the Israelites at this time, we do not require anything else to be done for us. They were waiting for a Messiah. They could still believe in it. The scriptures are very clear that there would be a Messiah, but they didn't know the Messiah yet. He had, the advent had not occurred, but we require nothing else. We've got everything we need. The story is complete. The time has passed. It is finished. We lack nothing from God. There is no gaps between us and our salvation other than our seeking of God. To take us all the way back to Zephaniah's opening salvo in this chapter about repentance. Seek God. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of of the anger of the Lord. That's what it boils down to. We do not require anything else. There's no uh, no other thing that needs to occur for us to finally be able to commune with the Lord. There's no missing part of our lives. We don't need to achieve a certain degree of understanding. We don't need to come for at least six weeks to church to come up front and talk. Nothing. Today, right now, is the chance. So, uh, so what about us? Turn for the world and its desires, beloved. Do it right now. Right now. If you're hearing this, it's not too late. That's grace. You've got to hear the good news one more time. If you stumble across this video randomly, if you're sitting here every Sunday and something is different, you're like, I really, I never thought about that. I've really got to square that up. Square it up. Let us know. We are ready to talk. We'll come to you. (laughs) We just need to know. Let us not live faux righteous lives or fake righteous lives. Don't put on airs. Don't act like you're saved. Don't, Don't come in here and feign like, yeah, I'm part of this, but really what I want is vengeance. I want to see God take care of all these other people that do things that I hate. There's people out there that are in the midst of all these sins and they're getting away with it every day and I can't even abide by that. I can't even hardly focus on anything that's good of God because I know how much bad stuff is in the world. Read these first two chapters of Zephaniah again and see what happens to the bad stuff in the world. Spoiler alert, it's gone. The worst the world's got to offer, the best the world's got to offer, all of it incinerated, replaced, renewed, reborn, recreated, by a sovereign, loving God. Which leads us to let us seek the Lord and his righteousness today. Salvation has come. It is finished. It is finished. When we read these chapters, we're like, my gosh, it sounds terrible. You know, we talked a little bit in small group today that might, you know, we, we don't want to be fear mongers. We don't want to say turn or burn, right? Let's describe your horrible situation. Do you want to go there? No. Well, then repent. What's that mean? Say this prayer, right? I just want out, right? I want a life preserver. It's more than that, right? It's, it's, a, it's a lifelong relationship with God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. All this changes. Then when we seek the Lord and His righteousness today, today, right now, it changes forever. Unlike Zephaniah and these 
these prophecies that point to Christ that are stuck in these places trying to help the Israelites understand that God has not forgotten you. We know that God has not forgotten us. He has done everything that needs to be done for us. It is finished. With that, let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for challenging Scripture, Lord. I thank you for the ability, the opportunity, uh, the group with which to study your word, Lord. I thank you for the promises, even back in Zephaniah's time, that there will be an end to the suffering. There will be an end to the torment of the world and an end to all the things that we are frustrated with, that maybe consume our lives, that we hate about ourselves, Lord. And Lord, I'm also thankful that as we move through this book, through your word, we see that hope arrives, hope lives a sinless life, goes to a cross and bears your wrath, drinks from the cup that I dare not drink from, Lord, that I cannot drink from. And because of the finished work of Christ, I'm able to stand before you blameless. Not because of me, Lord, but because of the work your son has done. Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray that anyone that has heard this message today that is struggling to understand where they sit in relationship to you, where they sit in relationship to the world around them, the things that they desire, how to seek you, how to seek righteousness, Lord, that they will reach out. If not to us, but to somebody that they know perhaps that has an interest in seeing them draw close to you, Lord. Time is short. We are not going to live forever, and the earth is not going to be here forever. Help us to bear that in mind, Lord, and to have broken hearts as we look at a world that's in distress, trying to figure out who and whose they are. Thank you for this time again together, Lord. It's in your son's name I pray.